and welcome to the FSF and Tapestry podcast. I'm Jules and I'm here with Ben. And we're joined by early learning specialist Emma Spires to talk about phonics and prephonics. Hi, Emma. It's lovely to have you with us here today. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. And so our first question is, can you tell us about yourself and your journey in education that has led to where you are now? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I, I was thinking about this before and I was thinking, do you know what really this started? I was like a little girl with a big dream. And I knew right from my very first day at school, I think, because we didn't really have a lot of childcare back in the 80s. Um, I just knew I wanted to work with children in that three to five kind of age group and I knew that then I I just thought I wanted to be a teacher because that's what you did to work with children and so I worked really hard I was um, a nursery nurse and paid my way through uni by doing lots of nannying and working nurseries Um, I did an early years B.Ed. Um, which doesn't really exist now, but it was a, had a specialism in three to seven. So I sort of followed that pathway. Then I um, was a, a teacher in key stage one. And in early years, I worked in different kinds of settings. So I've done, had quite a varied career kind of placements wise, I suppose. I've taught in county schools and in big city schools, taught in London, in Birmingham, um, then eventually became a deputy head, um, did that for a while, um, led a big early years team in a, in quite a big city school, um, ended up, <laughs> as you do, just a, a kind of randomly, it wasn't really a big career choice but I ended up working um, for the local authority as a moderation manager for the earliest profile and then ended up taking on um, the phonics lead for the local authority and did that for a number of years and then as the local authorities were downsizing I ended up being an independent consultant where I now still do 10 years later and I do lots of advisory work um within that I've been an officer, a freelance officer inspector um for early years I um, do loads of different training events I've learned how to do all of that online nowadays which has been a challenge um I write books and I do lots of work in schools and during the pandemic I was teaching in a nursery class um because I think it's really important in this kind of work that you still get to go and do the practical stuff also I just really like it and I suppose I suppose to me really the key thing that I love about all of this is just being able to because I still really really love working with this three to five age group and I just love this whole idea of whether I'm working with adults or children is this whole idea that this can still all be really fun and it should be when you're working with children the three to five this is their first step along their learning journey and it needs to be really fun needs to be really inspiring and we need to be able to do it in such a way that is repetitive but we still get joy out of it because it's kind of setting them up for that love of learning and also for the practitioners you know we want to be having a great time too yeah no definitely it's uh, it's certainly a wealth of experience that you're, you're bringing to everything you're doing and um, I, I think that puts you in like puts you into a great position for the work you do as your website the learning lady um and all the phonics work and everything you do there and I was just wondering what do you when do you feel is a suitable age to start teaching phonics yeah I suppose that the thing with all of that is that it depends what you decide phonics teaching is yeah. and I think 
probably all of us picture, and certainly I work with loads and loads of senior leaders, head teachers, governing body, all kinds of people. Um, and I think the, the tendency can be thinking, well, you know, phonics is the flashcards, phonics is the workbook, phonics is the worksheet with the S in the middle and colour the things beginning with S. And we can think about it like that. But actually, if we pair it right back, and I love the, um, you've had Bill Minns on, on this podcast before, haven't yeah. you? And I know that he talks about, you know, all learning and development being a marathon and not a sprint. And and, and not starting with the end result, starting from the beginning and working through a, you know, everything's a progression. So if we were to think about, you know, wanting to be Mo Farmer and running the London Marathon, how did he start that journey? Well, he started by sitting in his car seat or his baby chair, just lifting his head up, because that's the first step towards sitting up, towards walking, towards running, and then eventually running a marathon. So I suppose with phonics, when I think about phonics, and I'm doing lots of work in special schools and PMLD schools at the moment, so that kind of puts it into a bit more context, is that it really makes me think about, well, actually, babies are learning phonics really it's just that we don't consider it to be that so they are sitting in their car seats and babbling away or in their bouncy chairs and babbling away or on their tummy time babbling away blah, blah, blah. and they're giving their mouths a workout like a gym workout for their mouths and because they're doing that they're learning to say sounds we don't call that a phonics lesson and it definitely shouldn't be but they are definitely at that pre-phonics stage same way as you know if they're um you know, they're playing around with toys and manipulating shapes or hearing a sound that, you know, maybe they're a parent or a carer comes in the room and they hear the keys and they turn their head and they look to where that, that person is. They're going to turn their head and, you know, that's that kind of sound response. You know, I've heard a sound, I'm turning my head. Oh, it's the keys. That sound symbol response. So I feel the problem is with some of this is that we get our heads convinced about what phonics might look like I think we've got a way to go in helping families to see that also and it's so much more than a validated phonics scheme or a phonics program it's so much more than that and as long as we realize that it's a progression when our children start school obviously we know now that in reception they have to start formal phonics from very early on in reception I guess everybody's job leading up to that point and also children who find it hard, we've got to really think about, well, what are all those prior learning steps and how we can, how we can sort of help them along that journey? Mm. So um, building on from that, Emma, what do you think are the, the really important developmental steps for children that, that need, they can experience to support their phonics learning? I was actually doing some research for some training the other day and um, I was I was like right okay let me just go back and check what is the wife's what is the wife's FS saying what is development matter, development matter saying and the statements are really really broad and also if you look at some of the programs that are out there for phonics where they're talking about pre-phonic or um, the old phase one kind of phonics type of stuff they are all talking about you know stories songs and rhymes which is really great but it doesn't really talk about why these are fundamentally important and what actually is you know whereabouts on that progression and what they're what they're helping the children to be able to do so I guess for me when I run training events or when I do online training 
with people, I kind of try and break it down into like three fundamental steps almost, because it just is easier to simplify it. So I suppose really the end goal is if I want to hold up a letter A and I want the children to learn that it's an A, they've got to be able to see that letter shape and they've got to be able to remember that letter shape that, you know, that's the end goal. But if they can't do things like, you know, simple shape sorters when they're babies, you know, if they can't, if they've not had that opportunity, for example, to um, find the round shape and put it in the round hole in the shape sorter and then the, the star shape and move it around and put it in the shape hole. If they've not had those kinds of experiences or they've not done those puzzles, you know, with the little sticky bits when they got to try and match the <laughs> shape with the the whole if they've not had those kinds of experiences if you throw out abstract letters like b and d and p which if you've got poor visual discrimination they just look like a circle with a stick if you're if you're in that situation with children and they've missed out those developmental stages you know we might think of putting the shape sorters out there and the those little puzzles out there for physical development but actually there's so much more than that they're brilliant for helping children to discriminate and remember between shapes Mm. um you know things like if we give children bubbles, don't we, all the time? We sing songs with them. Actually, it's a gym workout for the mouse. In the end, we're wanting them to go k- 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 p- 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 with the sounds. But actually, if we've not given them those early workouts for the mouse, we've not taught them to control the air that comes out. We've not taught them how to control the mouth muscles. So because of that, then it, saying the letters, which again are abstract, is going to be so much harder. And I suppose really one of the key things, one of the big things that I see a lot of is children hearing and remembering sounds like the remembering stuff is hard. So if we were always to go to the all blending and segmenting the breaking words up into their tiniest parts first without working on auditory memory, remembering things off by heart in simple ways. You know, that's where I guess singing songs and learning stories from memory or learning rhymes from memory can be really powerful so I think if we've not again if we've not we don't always think of them as phonics because we think of phonics as being the flashcards but if you know the seeing and remembering the hearing remembering and the same remembering if they're not there if those foundational skills aren't there once we start throwing the letters in there it's going to feel like it's going to be it's like going to be climbing a mountain but without any of the kits to be able to do it well so I think that's that's something I talk a, a lot about, and I, th- I feel like that can be the problem for some children is that those foundational pieces are, are missing. Mm. And I think that's really interesting for me to hear when I reflect back to when I was in the classroom teaching phonics in a reception class and thinking to where maybe some of the children struggled with certain things. So like you are saying about the control and the breath and the, the mouth shape and everything like that. And I, I never really sort of, thought about that but actually reflecting back that's exactly what I should be doing and that it made me think okay and as you said we used to put the bubbles out mm-hmm. and I probably didn't think why I was doing that as much as like how it related to oh, yeah teachers. and you 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 know obviously I've got a, a fair amount of experience I've been doing this for a long time and have been putting out jigsaw puzzles for children for a really long time mm-hmm. and it's really you know still now I'm reflecting on my practice and thinking about you know we had like a big um a fire engine puzzle and we'd be like oh well the firefighters are coming let's get the fire engine puzzle out without thinking well actually 
is this too easy? Is this too hard? Is it just right? What puzzles can they do? What puzzles, you know, why am I doing a puzzle anyway? Oh, because it teaches that spatial awareness and the visual discrimination. And I think sometimes in early years, we do things because we know it's a good early years thing to do. And I think sometimes that can be part of my job in articulating, you know, talking with school leaders about the fact that, you know, it's not just, oh, well, we do do it different in early years, that actually there's a reason behind it. And a lot of the things we do, like the bubbles, you know, they're great fun and we know that they're really good practice, but we don't always equate them to being phonics because we're so used to thinking of phonics being the the flashcards and the workbooks Mm. and the the special little rhymes and all of that. Yeah. yeah, and and you mentioned as well, Emma, um, previously about about families and parents, and everything that you've said is making me think how important you know all of those things that that families and parents do or might not think of doing, but maybe um, can be supported to remember to do. Also, knowing why they're doing them, and yes. how important that that little babbly conversation you might have with your baby is, or you know that back and forth, or. Um, the, the tummy time play or as they get a little bit older those shape things that you do play with or whatever you do that all of those is feeding in not just to perhaps the obvious physical development or whatever it is but actually is feeding into so much more in terms of the longevity of their of their learning for phonics yeah and I think with that as well times change so quickly aren't they so I guess maybe 10 years ago we didn't have the technology that we have now and you know you can see it all the time in the way that we interact with children we give them you know like they're very used to being around phones aren't they and the kind of things that we have on phones and just some of those visual discrimination type of activities where Maybe you know, if I was to say, look at the Peppa Pig app, for example, I'm just thinking of that because my niece plays with that a lot. You know, if you if you do like a simple jigsaw puzzle on that, all you're really doing is clicking and dragging. So in effect, you're thinking, oh, well, it's the same thing. Jigsaw puzzle in a box. Much easier if it's on a phone because we're not going to get all the lose the pieces, you know, get it all back in the box. It's much easier. Here, have the phone, play the play the jigsaw game so you think technically you're doing the same thing but when you play those games on those apps a lot of the time it's just click and drag and if it goes in the wrong place it pings back and it's very different skill to if you're having that conversation around a jigsaw puzzle oh does that bit fit there look at the picture does that picture oh no I think we need to turn it around so that I think maybe as professionals we've got a responsibility to help families see the impact that the technology is having and it's not all bad is it it's, it's, I don't want to come across as a dinosaur it's, it's not all bad but to help them to see that sometimes these the things that we think are helping are actually maybe not helping at all and that there is that kind of case for still having that that interaction as part of this this learning process. I think that's an important um, thing to remember actually when using technology it's it's there as an additional tool but it's not to replace what you know other things that have been are in place if you want so exactly the using puzzles um using those shape sorters that's such an important skill which you can't replicate on a screen um so yeah i think that's a really important thing for uh, practitioners to sort of reflect on and when you're working with sort of different settings and everything like that are there any common challenges that you've seen early years practitioners experience? 
Yes, I would definitely say, hands down, if I was working, say, in a, in a reception class, I'd say, hands down, and this is, people talk to me about this all the time, that the, the blending, the being able to hear each of the separate sounds in a word and then blend them in a word, cat, cat that is the bit that is like this sticking point. And at the minute, there's this um, Ofsted um, kind of drive for looking at the children in the lowest 20%. So in schools, everybody's very concerned about, you know, that lowest 20% and what it is that they can do and what they can't do. And hands down, I would say 95 to 100% of the time, we are always talking about this, this blending process. And I am convinced that, so I working with practitioners over a really long time, we've been like, well, what is it about the blending that's the hard? Is it that they can't hear those separate sounds at most of the time they can it's actually the auditory memory bit so often you'll hear children go cat tack or cat you two will know you would you know yeah. you will know their experiences cat at or cat like they'll hear a bit of it but they won't remember it all the way through a word and I feel like this auditory memory bit is a bit similar to when people, are, you know, further on in school, people will say, well, they can't hold a sentence. So we've gone to write a sentence and they can't they can't hold it in their heads. Every time they write a word, they forget the whole sentence because they're concentrating so much on that word. And it seems to me that it all comes back to auditory memory and that ability to remember what you've heard in the short, you know, hold it in your short-term memory long enough to get it down. And I think that can be a really, it can be, and I think when we see things like in the EYFS or in the Development Matters, or even in Austin where it's talking about stories, songs and rhymes, stories, like, you know, you look in any of those documents, the reading framework, they all talk about it. And I think, again, it's forgetting that, you know, that, that they really help with that auditory memory process. That's why talk for writing was quite, or has been or continues to be quite big in schools because it's about remembering and that auditory memory process and I think also for early years if we take it back to like settings and think about that you know think about this being a marathon and not a sprint seeing things like stories and songs in a progression and again I think back to like things that I've done and be like oh well okay so um it's autumn let's sing that autumn song but not really thinking well there's a song that we usually sing about I don't know going on holiday in the summer and that's easy in the autumn song but because it's autumn and because that's the summer song we sing them then but not thinking about well actually if I'm building auditory memory I've got to start off easy and then get progressively harder so I might start off at the beginning of a preschool year or with the two-year-olds thinking about something like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, building up to the end of preschool or nursery, one man went to Mo, because that's a lot harder to yes. remember, isn't it? It's, you know, the, following that and, and seeing the songs that we sing, the books that we read, the rhymes that we learn as a, as a kind of a progression, really, mm. to, to kind of take that auditory memory and build it up chunk by chunk so again you know we might not think singing twinkle twinkle or you know we sing that well how cute is that we sing that in in nursery but actually we're not seeing it as a, a fundamental thing that is helping their auditory processing hearing and remembering so that when we get later down the line it's going to be a lot easier when 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 we because the problem is with 
like blending and and hearing sounds it's all abstract isn't it like it's not like an actual thing it's you know you've got to have you've got to have done a lot of these things in the concrete a million zillion times to prepare you for prepare you for that kind of stuff Mm. yeah absolutely I love that idea of thinking it's so true that we we can get caught up in where a story fits in in our year or where a story song fits Mm. in our year or where a story fits with the children's interest in that moment and that's fine but actually also placing it within I can almost feel like in a setting kind of doing an audit of my of my songs and rhymes and an audit of my books of my key books you know that I know I need to use through the year and looking at how they might play out in that progression where they I've been working with lots of settings on that at the moment and it's it's really it's really made me think because I'm I'm like oh what's harder do we go drink a little start or have to do which you know you you can tie yourself in and 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 every fibre of my being as somebody who's been doing this clearly for a long time is like it's got to fit with the topic it's got to fit you know you feel like almost like it's part of your lifeblood that it's got to fit with that and I don't know always that we've helped children the other thing that I've really noticed um in schools and settings is that YouTube you're not just YouTube but you know like streaming songs which are video content cannot be really very helpful for this and you know if you're like me and you're doing a lot of you know you do this prephonic work because you know it's really good for the children but you're tone deaf being able to have like that video there to drown you out but also you think oh well this is brilliant I've got YouTube on we're singing five little ducks perfect they've got the tune um they've got the pictures there to help them but actually what we're doing is we're stripping away that auditory memory because they can see it's five ducks then four ducks and mummy ducks quacking so i don't need to remember oh what comes next mummy duck says quack i don't have to remember the tune because the tune's playing for me so even by just doing stuff like you know like mixing it up so it's not always singing with the whiteboard or singing with the laptop you know just being mindful of the fact that children get a lot of that at home they get it on ipads they get it on phones so when we're in a setting maybe as hard as it is when you're tone deaf like me to remember that you know these these visual tools are brilliant but they do strip away bit by bit of the auditory memory kind of things and i suppose there is that that thing about you know if we think about as adults maybe 20 years ago we would have to remember things wouldn't we like um I don't know like addresses you know I can still remember my grand's phone number from when I was four but I can't remember my own phone number now why because I had to learn it and I had to you know or you know remember it from you know in my head as a kind of a pattern of numbers and I think all of that you know, as adults, we're not having to remember so much, are we? Because we're not having to remember directions. We're not having to remember birthdays because the technology is doing all of the remembering. Mm. And that's not to say it's a bad thing, but I suppose we've got to be mindful that the children are growing up in this situation and we've got to maybe compensate for it. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, we had a question around resources, Emma, which is that, you know, we've, we've seen the importance of using concrete resources in teaching maths. Um, and is there a place for these types of resources in phonics as well? 
Oh, massively. And I think that's another one of those things where we can think it all needs to be printing pictures out, laminating pictures, going on Twinkle or other different kind of subscription sites and thinking that they're the things that we need. But I guess one of the things that has come up time and time again over years is that all my children are really great at the phonics stuff, but they don't apply it when they read in their books. And that fundamentally comes back to that whole, you know, the characteristics of effective learning where it's talking about children being able to make links. And that's exactly what it is in maths, isn't it? You know, we use the concrete, then we use the pictorial and we use the language to help them to be able to make links in their brains. And I think really sometimes with reading, we always think of it being like those books that are in your book bag that you take home or, you know, eventually being able to learn to read books. But very rarely do we think about like that real life reading. And, you know, end of the day, I guess what we want is these little people to go out into the world and stand at a bus stop and say, oh, mom, dad, that says but us, bus. You know, we, you know, at the bus stop, that's that's the kind of thing that we want. Um, so I suppose, really, when I'm thinking about this kind of stuff, I'm thinking that, you know, it needs to be really practical and it needs to be really every day, because if it's every day, then they're going to make the links so much, so much easier. So if I'm playing, you know, if I'm playing a game like an all blended segmenting game in a nursery, I'm going to want to say, oh, here's a pen and here's a bag. And if I play enough time, play a game enough times in that repetitive way with things which children are familiar with, then it's going to really help them in the end to go home and be, oh, mom, this is a pen. Because it's easier to make the links. If it's always pictures on cards or things we've printed out, they're only ever seeing that one way of representing a thing. And they don't have that at home. So to be able to make those links, and you know, we know that children who do better are the ones that practice it more, repeat it more. So I suppose there's that case of we don't want it to be like go home and do these things. We want it just to be like kind of organic, I suppose. Also, I feel like there's that, there's that other thing. If we're wanting children to be really good at visual discrimination because the end game is for them to be able to recognize these letters and remember them if we want them to be good at that we've got to also give them millions of different ways of representing the same thing so you know if we want them to in reception be being able to read can and match it with a, a picture of a can of drink for example you know they've got to have seen cans in loads of different situations haven't they they've got to know what a drinks can looks like how it feels when it's in the fridge how it feels out of the fridge what it looks like in a photo what it looks like in a line drawing what it looks like um in like a clip art cartoon version of a can they need to have lots of rep representations of that kind of thing i think sometimes if we're not careful also some of the kinds of resources that you can print out they can be a bit obscure and i suppose a good example of that would be I was doing some, I was filming for um, a setting and we were doing some work in a group and I'd got some a picture of a, a lady that was running and um, I wanted, I think it was, we were looking at sun, bun and run. But of course the children were like, it's jogging, it's jogging. And I was like, oh, you're not wrong, but I want you to say run just in an instant. <laughs> you're saying it wrong, kids, come on. <laughs> and, and I suppose that just really, you know, and that's the same way that when you say, oh, here's a cow, what noise does a cow make? And they all say moo. And then you say, what sound does it begin with? And they all say moo. No, what sound does it begin with? You know, we've switched it. But they, you know, to transfer that knowledge is really hard. So I think 
we have to be really intentional when we're thinking about resourcing and think about these core skills, the seeing and remembering and the hearing and remembering and the saying and remembering and just really think about using the real life stuff is so important because it just it's going to help them to make links and also it's so much better on like saving you time like you've not got to be printing loads of stuff out and laminating you know like just real things like a pen like it's super easy it doesn't need to be complicated really i remember um at the the start of phonics in reception we had um a folder with all the sound cards so we were a read writing school and we had a, a folder with all the sound speed sounds set ones and inside each of the, the, the slippery fish for each one, there was the sound card, but also lots of different objects that began with that sound. And exactly the same, though. Some of them were a bit too obscure. <laughs> it's just like, you're, like, you're right, but no, I want you to say it's this. It's just like... <laughs> yeah, and you come up against it, and especially I've worked in a lot of schools where there's children learning English as a second language, mm. and you're there, and I, I, I was there with the... T- pot and there was a turkey nobody knew what a turkey was and I was like oh this is really hard now because I'm gonna have to rather than go into the thing I'm gonna have to start to talk to you about what a turkey is and yeah and the same thing I was in another school where we were looking at um there was a picture and it I think they were doing OE or so I don't know they were they were doing something and there was this picture of potato and I was like is it a nut is it a cow cat is it a potato I don't know what it is so I think yeah it's just yeah you can think it's going to make your life easier but I don't think it always does Mm -hmm. and I think vocabulary is one of those things you know we look at all the key documents now and it's talking about vocabulary all the time I think it's one of those hidden things like phonics is really easy it's very obvious here's the letter make the sound but to know what is in a child's word bank you can only find that out by default because sometimes they they get very good at being able to think oh well it's kind of like that but it's and you don't know until a word crops up that actually they've never heard it before Mm. And one thing that's just got me thinking was something I always used to say to parents was, you know, when you're shopping, talk to your child about what you're buying and things like that. But as more and more people do online shopping, yeah. that, that skill's sort of going as well. So it's kind of they have to do it more and more at home, I think. Yeah. And also I was talking with um, a trainee teacher the other day and she was just saying how it's not really related to this, but she was saying how hard teaching money was with her year fives because they never have cash. You know, they're so used to the the cards. And I was like, do you know what? That's so true because actually it is, you know, they're growing up in a world and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that maybe we've got to be really mindful of it. I've, I've even got a Monopoly game where you get a card. It's not, oh. it's not, yeah, it's not cash, it's a card. Hey, that's very fancy. Well, yeah. <laughs> My family hates it, though, because it's not cash and they can't cheat. <laughs> I think um, we're the future for all those yeah. cheaters. <laughs> I mean, going back to phonics, though, I mean, I've taught children where they've had phonics through nursery, they've taught, had phonics through reception into year one, and they're still not getting it um why why is it apart from the sort of auditory memory part why do you feel that maybe phonics doesn't work for all children 
I think it's one of those things where, you know, if you were to read any of the literature, it's just keep doing more of the same. And yeah. in the end, it will click. You know, if you read any of the phonics programs, that's kind of what it says. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, really? You know, in what other circumstances perhaps would we ever do that? I don't know. You know, And one of the things which is key to being an amazing professional, which I know a lot of the people listening to this absolutely are, is that whole problem solving thing is to be able to look at a child who's finding it difficult and just to be really able to work out what the problem is and be able to kind of almost diagnose it and help them. And I think sometimes it's, I don't think we often look at children as the whole child enough in in situations and think about well what is it actually that they're finding hard is it that they can't concentrate is it their attention is it their memory or is it their listening is it their visual discrimination because there are children you know who much later down the line end up with some kind of dyslexia kind of diagnosis you know maybe it's maybe it's a visual discrimination thing maybe it's a visual memory thing and I think the children that and, and also they get then into that cycle of despair you know they like once they once they say I can't it actually really means I won't and once they get into that frame of mind it's really really hard to turn it around and I think I think we need to be really aware that they need to be able to feel very small steps of success and I feel feel like it can be very easy to feel pressured as a professional to like keep going on keep 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 going on and keep pushing and keep pushing without thinking that sometimes to go it's easier to go back a tiny step let them feel like they're getting somewhere then move forwards so I think there's definitely and there are some children who do find it extremely hard and yeah, I think it's and, and also they they are often sometimes I would encourage people to like look for the similarities across other things because actually a lot of what we're doing, you know, phonics isn't particularly special. There's a lot of it is to do with memory and a lot of it is to do with like being able to tell the difference. And it's it's not really that different from learning numbers. You know, numbers are abstract, learning the difference between 12, between 12 and 21, you know, there's there's lots of there's lots of similarities in different things and I think maybe we need to be really good at being able to first of all understand all those steps that come before because they can be a really good indicator of knowing whether a child is going to find it easy or hard or not and then just also now I suppose really as well it's maybe thinking about like children you know because when they're reading they're doing a lot of stuff aren't they they are you know they've got to hold the book the right way they've got you know somebody's somebody's saying point to the words then they've got to turn it the right way then then somebody's asking them umpteen questions about to get the draw out the understanding so I suppose they could you know there's all of these other things and maybe it's just I don't know that we do enough of we do I see a lot of a lot of examples where people feel under pressure to be like, well, do it on your own. I want to see what you can do rather than doing that whole, let's do it together. Let's read it together. I'll read one word, you read one word. And, you know, like knowing that it's okay as a professional to, to do things together, then gradually release it. I think that that can be something that um, I feel like we think we're cheating if we do it, but actually it's, it's so helpful for the, to the children that find it hard. I think when I was teaching phonics, one of the things I used to like best was when I had an odd number of children in my group, Mm -hmm. because it meant that when they got to pair up, I always got to work with a child. 
and you could alternate you could switch the children during the session and work with all the children very quickly and do exactly what you're saying you know take a word each or repeat a word and stuff like that so yeah it's really useful and that's a very that's a very early years thing to do isn't it that that working with a child that Mm. scaffolding with a child modeling scaffolding and that and that often can get forgotten as you move through a key stage whereas in actual fact it's useful all the way through a key stage for everybody but of course for children who may be finding this very very difficult that some of those early years um teaching and learning skills are very very useful later yeah and I suppose it's that thing isn't it like you know when we're babies we don't learn to talk by sitting down and having a talking lesson (laughs) how do we learn to talk we learn by listening to other people copying them making mistakes refining what we do having praise you know we know all of this to be true so if that's the case with something like talking you know nobody said to me when I was learning to to talk oh I'm not going to talk to you you talk now and I'm going to see what you can do like it didn't really work like that Uh, same with learning to walk like you know exactly the same and even learning to drive you know some of the hardest things you ever have to learn to do as an adult you know you learn by watching somebody doing a bit making a mistake and I feel like a lot of this is you show me what you can do you should not doing it always you know I I just think it can feel quite pressured can't it time wise and I think people worry that if the script of the programme that you're following doesn't tell you exactly to do that, then you'll be doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I think so, you're right. Sorry, Jules, I was just going to yeah, say yeah. the time thing, especially like in year one, you know, by June, you've got the phonics screening, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you've always got that in your mind. And you've got this group of children who are, you know, they're not where you need them to be sort of. For this phonics screening thing and it's just kind of you feel that pressure you're like I just need to do more and that's where yes yeah I was talking to the lady yeah. yesterday and she was saying oh we do phonics twice a day and then we I was like oh yeah I'm not saying that that's wrong because it's absolutely not but I suppose it's just thinking about well how effective is it being yeah. and actually if I'm doing it twice a day every day for a year and it's still not working <laughs> why isn't it working and yeah. being able to unpick it I'm feeling confident that you can yeah yeah we're approaching our final question emma which is has the introduction of validated phonics schemes confused the the sector around teaching phonics i don't think it's confused everybody who works in reception because i think it's really clear that the expectation is that you know children start reception boom they start formal phonics I think what's hard is if you are and I feel this keenly because my heart is in teaching in nursery um but also nursery and preschool settings thinking about because there's not masses in any of the phonics programs which either gives a new take on the well first of all I think everybody's very scared of not wanting to call phase one phase one anymore because it was a big part of letters and sounds and nobody you know people are moving away from the letter whole letters and sounds approach so I think there's a, a tendency or you know it's easy to feel like if you're in nursery or in preschool that you can't call it phase one anymore and maybe all those phase one things that we've been doing for a long time perhaps aren't fit for purpose or you know if you look at the phonics schemes there's not loads pre you know they talk about story songs and rhymes and building vocabulary but there's not there's not a massive amount of meat 
on that kind of here here's a progression of books here's a progression of songs here's a progression of rhymes think about your your puzzles think about your games this is how these relate but you know they don't necessarily do that so I feel like it could be very easy particularly if you're in a school or if you're a setting associated with a school where you can feel like oh well the school are doing this phonics thing and um we've got to kind of align with the school or we've got to kind of align with reception. There's nothing really about um, what nursery has to do. So we'll just do what they're doing in reception, but easier. Or in this particular phonics programme, it talks about um, all blending and segmenting being important, but all those other things that come before aren't mentioned. So maybe all I've got to just do is the oral blending and segmenting. So, I think there's that, there's definitely a pressure around that. And I'm working with lots and lots of people on that at the moment because it is kind of a bit of a, there's a void when it comes to nursery. And I think it is that kind of understanding that, that phonics doesn't need to look the same way in nursery. That doesn't mean to say that it's not going on. I think maybe one of the, having used, you know, I worked with somebody who was, part of the national strategies team that wrote the original letters and sounds and I feel like I've learned a lot over time you know it was very woolly we got we were a lot of us were playing the phase one games for a really long time and we were maybe maybe getting a little bit sick of them so I've been working for a long time on trying to think about well if these are the pre-phonic skills how can we make those fun and exciting and be really you know to make it so that it's um the same learning just mix it up a bit and give people more ideas related to stories and songs and a bit more because a lot of the phase one stuff was just oh here's not a lot of nice games it didn't also plot things out in a progression or plot things out in a systematic way so i think sometimes that could be a criticism of it oh well they're just phase one so just stick the listening ears on them and go for a walk rather than thinking right okay let's really unpick what those difficulties are so I suppose really it's it's going back to thinking about all that all that you know it's a marathon it's not a sprint if the children in my setting come in like this say when they're two or say when they're three and I know that when they go into reception class they've got to be able to be hit the ground running and have that great start of these are the letters, these are the sounds. But in between them coming in, maybe with two or three word utterances and maybe very limited experience of songs and stories and books, how do I get them from A to B in a kind of a systematic way? So a bit like, you know, if you're Mo Farah and you're training for a marathon, you know, he's not going to start by running a marathon, is he? He's going to like, there's going to be steps. There's going to be, you know, all kinds of bits. And and I, and I think that's the bit where I've been doing a lot of work planning wise with people to just try and, and see that actually when we're articulating this stuff, particularly with inspectors and senior leaders, to be able to say, well, this puzzle here is part of their pre-phonic development because I've put this um, I don't know, we're, we're singing this song, it's on our progression of songs because we're reading this book, it's easier than ne next week but harder than last week because, and to just be make sure that we're really clear about it because I think that is the danger with the phonics programmes is that a lot of them don't necessarily dig down into it and it, it can make you feel a bit like oh well we don't have to do any of that phase one stuff or we don't need to do any of that pre-phonic stuff 
but we know that children are still on that progression. And if you look at just the basics of maybe something like development matters, the, that, the statements are quite woolly, aren't they? So just remembering all of that, really. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. That was so informative. I feel like there was just so much in that, wasn't there, Ben, yeah. to kind of take away and and Definitely use and 100%. reflect on. Oh, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've got some free planning. So if anybody's useful, I think we're going to put it in the show notes, maybe. Yep. Yeah, we're going yeah. to create a forum post and then put it there where people can can um, download it afterwards. Brilliant. I'll see what other, what other bits and bobs I've got Great. that might also help as well. That's fantastic. Great. Thanks, Emma. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.